Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. J.W. Verrett, who joined us uh, a few days ago and who was on the other side of the mic, we were going to talk about the Coinbase and finance suits, which we're still going to talk about, but just so much more has transpired over the course of, of the last, let's call it, week and a half. So... JW, you are an associate professor of law at George Mason and a former and a former sort of advisory committee member to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. So you are, um, as they would maybe say on Odd Lots, the perfect guest to discuss this topic. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Do more with your crypto. Whether you're a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring new Web3 applications with peace of mind, knowing that PayPal has your back. Learn more and get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Okay, JW. Obviously, we have uh, we've had some. I, I kind of listed off some of the things that have happened since we last touched touch base. Um, where shall we begin? Shall we start with maybe the one thing I didn't mention, which was yesterday's meeting of the House Financial Services Subcommittee? Obviously, the the House Republicans are pretty keen to. It seems like get get Gary Gensler out of his seat, but also sort of submit a framework that would remove at least to a degree, um, and you can sort of unpack the the granularities there, uh, crypto out of the out of the purview of the SEC's jurisdiction. Was it seems like Democrats are a bit lukewarm to the idea. Um is there something that we can uh, maybe the Democrats are a bit more keen on the stablecoin part, but unpack that, unpack it for us and what's your impression? That bill is a messaging bill. Which is not bad. Mm. I mean, very few bills pass, especially in financial services. Very few bills pass relative to other committees. So a lot of what you're doing up there is messaging. You're messaging regulators, telling mm. them, pushing them in one direction or another, messaging your constituents that you care about an issue. Mm. I think it's a, it's a it's a notable messaging bill. I understand the reason for it, the frustration for it. It's a note of frustration that is legitimate and justified because I think the messaging we see out of the chairman of the SEC is a kind of obsequious, just come in and register. And, you know, it just fell out of form. Mm -hmm. When I know I teach securities law, I have, I, I, I sometimes it's been three or four hours with securities law students talking about all the complexities of what it would take for crypto to register with the SEC. So I know how like obsequious mm -hmm. a statement that is, it just rails on me. It, 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 it sounds to me like nails on a chalkboard uh, when he, so I get mm -hmm. it. I totally get it. The bill's not going to move. It's not going to do much. And one of the things about these agency constraining bills is it's interesting now, but if there's a political power shift 
and let's say the next chairman is Hester Peirce, I'm not going to want that bill in place. And the Democrats are suddenly going to be pushing that bill. They're going to say, no, let's have a six-member commission, three and three, with an executive director. And I'm going to be saying, no, 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 no. let's let's let Hester run with the SEC for four years and do some exemptive relief in crypto. Um, So it's an interesting messaging bill right now. It's not going to move. It expresses a, a legitimate frustration, I think, from the Hill. Mm. So it's it's a messaging signal, um, likely won't pass. But if we look at if we look at these suits, right, um, and obviously they're going to play out over the course of several years. To what degree? To what degree do you think? Let's talk about Coinbase specifically. Will they be impacted from from a business perspective? Um, it seems like. Even though the SEC is calling uh, many of these asset securities, it's almost like if a tree falls in a forest, right? Because they're still going to, it seems like, list them um, or continue to list them. So until, do we necessarily need, I guess the question is, legislation if in, let's call it two years, we do have a different regime that might walk, can they walk back on this? I think a new regime could settle the outstanding litigation, could easily settle the outstanding litigation, could secondly promulgate exemptions under the SEC's own authority to make it uh, much easier, much more reasonable for token projects who want to register to register who are securities, to make it easier for Coinbase to get the necessary licenses it needs, like the special purpose broker-dealer license that it's been begging for, like the clarity that it was begging the SEC for in their request for public rulemaking last summer that the mandamus lawsuit is all about. I think a new SEC chairman could use things that have already been sent to the SEC in the form of requests for rulemaking, in the form of model disclosure suggestions from academics, from participants, from law firm people, in the form of model exemptive relief, um, in the form of, you know, items questions answered in prior applications, questions answered in Blockstack's reggae offering. Um, the the thinking mm-hmm. has already been done. The SEC has the power to do, do the exemptions and the interpretations and the guidance that it needs under the statute. It, they can snap their fingers tomorrow and make it happen. Uh, so yeah, with regime change, mm-hmm. it's possible. Or who knows, let's pray for a, you know, a Christmas change of heart from the current chairman. Maybe he'll see the ghost of how he passed and and change his his approach as well. That's always possible. What do you? I mean, if you think about it from from their perspective, and, and we got a bit of that from the perspective of the SEC, which we got a little bit uh, of uh, last night when they when they basically said they would need four months to potentially respond to Coinbase's request for rulemaking. So they, they clearly think that it's. Um, it's a sort of ridiculous ask um, from Coinbase. I, I guess their perspective is that digital asset rules already exist, and and the industry just doesn't like those existing rules and laws that are governing it, which would be these assets are securities, but just because you can't register them doesn't mean that they're not securities. Just because you can't figure it out, it's not our job to figure it out for you. That doesn't that doesn't mean what you're doing isn't wrong. I feel like that's the basis of 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 Gensler's sort of thinking here or approach. Um, 
How do you reckon Coinbase will argue against that? Well, so there's the argument that will come up in the case, and then there's the policy argument. Let me start with the policy argument. Yensler has had two or three different approaches to crypto, and if you follow his public statements mm-hmm. pre-FTX, it was somewhat of a different hymnal than post-FTX. At one point, he said, we need new legislation, and now he says, we don't need any legislation. Um Look, mm. the SEC has adapted the securities laws before to new developments. They they took some time to do it. They were late to do it. They're already late to adapt it to crypto, uh, already about a decade late to adapt them to crypto. That's usually about their timeline. So when the Internet comes along and the SEC rules say you have to deliver a prospectus before you solicit someone to buy into your offering, a paper, a stack of paper, you got to give them a stack of paper. Folks said, mm. how about we just email it or even more? How about we just have a hyperlink on a website and you could just go check it there? The SEC said, no, 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 no. That's not the same as paper delivery. Paper delivery matters. Mm-hmm. So they adapted 10 years late uh, to to free riding prospectus disclosure, adapted the prospectus delivery disclosures to the ability to send information on the Internet. It took them a while to adapt to this new crazy thing, social media. CEOs talked about the company mm-hmm. on social media. The SEC said, no, no, no. Investors get their information through the Edgar filing database. They don't get it on Twitter. It took them forever to adopt Reg mm-hmm. FD, but eventually they did. They adapted Reg ABS to asset-backed securities, these new things that didn't have boards, didn't have CEOs, but they were still securities. And the SEC adapted their rules so that they could list those securities and comply with the new set of rules. They adapted it for master limited partnerships, this new kind of thing that oil companies set up that weren't like regular companies. They've done this before lots of times, and they know what they need to do because I filed a request for rulemaking with them. Coinbase has filed a request for rulemaking with them. Um, they're, what The only thing that's different is the politics. Somehow the politics has become toxic, especially post-FTX, where the Democrat, the hardcore progressive Democrat line is uh, is kill crypto. And the SEC has moved its focus at the at the at floor at the leadership level of the mm. agency to that goal right now. Fair enough. But if we're sort of if I'm sitting in or if I'm playing devil's advocate, as it were, I'm Chair Gensler. I say securities very very interestingly. He says like I can't. Let me see if I can do an impression. I don't know if I should. Might be in poor taste. Um, he just is a very classic Baltimore accent. Uh, he would say, like, there's the widely publicized 2017 report on the original um, decentralized autonomous organization and the tokens it issued, the Dow report, and that they've already issued and provided digital asset guidance um, outside of enforcement actions over, over the years. So they would probably argue that the industry has it. Um but let's think about like what's different, because one thing that I think would be difficult, relatively difficult to argue with is this seemingly change in tone over ETH, right? I mean, I I thought with Hinman, it was pretty clear that maybe it wasn't official, official um, SEC guidance, but at least the market had a sense that it was it was it was at least the unofficial consensus of folks within the agency that ETH um, would not necessarily need to be regulated as a security, and that there was a level of deficient, excuse me, um, a level of um, needed decentralization. Um, now we 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 can't really get a clear answer. Is is that striking to you? What what do you think is 
behind that. And and what did yesterday sort of the release from Ripple those those Hinman documents? What did that maybe um, shed light on from your perspective? Yeah, the um, let me start with the last point. The Hinman documents were not a bombshell for the XRP case for the mm-hmm. Ripple case. Uh, I think they could be useful background for the case to show the unfairness of the action itself, but they won't factor into, I think, the the doctrinal analysis in the case. Um, Ripple's got a good fighting chance on fair notice. Mm-hmm. The Howie stuff is a lot harder. Uh, and But if they're willing to go the distance, I think the Supreme Court's willing to reshape administrative law and enforcement under administrative law with the major questions doctrine. So I think they've got a shot either at SCOTUS and changing the law itself, or they've got a shot in the current application of law with fair notice. When Howie, it's just a tough mm-hmm. road to climb at the district court because uh, the SEC usually wins on that. Um, what's new about the documents, it just shows the internal wrestling within the agency about how to treat Ethereum, what to do about Ethereum, and the internal wrestling they've had with the application of securities laws to crypto. So it's to me, this was all evidence of um, thoughtful staff thinking through issues in a thoughtful way, very smart securities lawyers at the top of their game, wrestling with the difficulties of applying securities law to crypto, which just shows to me the cheap talking points we get out of the chairman. Oh, just come in and register. Mm-hmm. The law is clear. Um, or not, uh, let me be kind, not accurate descriptions mm-hmm. of the legal complexities in play here understood it would be one thing if gary would just accept the guidance the framework uh that was adopted under the last chairman but he won't even do that did you see uh what jay clayton had to say about um sort of the approach that gensler has taken i think he was speaking uh, at a bloomberg summit. yeah it's unusual for an old chairman to criticize a new chairman that's kind of one of the rules of rules of the club um mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I read between the lines of that statement to be criticism, yeah. right? To be criticism. Yeah. And he sort of prefaced, he basically said, like, you know, if you re- read between the lines, he basically said, this isn't what I <laughs> yeah, did right. and it's not what I would right. do. Um, but we did a great job stomping out the ICO craze, um, which is somewhat, which is somewhat true. Attention crypto holders. Moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hustling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto terms and conditions apply. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy. 
but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. So one question that has sort of come out of all of this is what do the projects do, right? Um, and how do you approach, uh, if you're, well, we've seen two sort of things. How do the exchanges that are not Coinbase and Binance approach this? And how do the projects approach it from a communication perspective? Um, Solana, you know, released a statement saying we don't think we're security um, on the other end. We've seen, you know, eToro to Robinhood, uh, all delist assets. Um, focusing, I guess, on the on the former. What I mean, what, what type of like, I don't know if advice is the right question, but um, what type of approach do you think these projects should take if they've sort of gotten this sigmata um, now from from the chair? Does it really does it really matter from from the perspective of the projects, or is it? Is it really just a concern for um, these two exchanges that have found themselves in the crosshairs? And that's, yeah, let's start with that. And then maybe if you have thoughts on how some other brokers are approaching this news. Yeah. So uh, let me start with the disclaimer. I teach at a law school, but I also practice securities law, SEC enforcement defense particularly. And so uh, I'm not your lawyer. I'm not giving you legal advice, listener. Uh, what should they do yeah. if they've if a project has received a Wells notice or even an investigation or inquiry? Uh, they should call me. That's the first thing they should do. Uh, <laughs> not just me. Just call a lawyer before you talk to the SEC. Don't speak to the SEC in any capacity uh, without counsel present, particularly Securities Enforcement Counsel, someone with enforcement experience. Um, so what, generally speaking, can a project do at this point? The fact is there is no way to come into compliance. Um, no standard way. Folks have tried to think about uh, non-standard ways, and I've seen a few interesting ideas. You've probably seen the news. I don't know anything non-public, but you've seen the news publicly that Chia uh, is one of the companies behind Chia is doing a classic securities offering, not off, not tokens, but a classic securities offering. That's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out for them, and I'm, I'm wishing the best with that. But generally speaking, if you're a foundation working affiliated with a project working on the blockchain, there's been a token issuance. Maybe some VC funds hold the token still. Maybe some devs hold it. It's used as a utility token on the network. It's also listed on exchanges, right? That's the typical situation. Um, I don't know that there is much of anything at all you can do right now to come into compliance. And the risk is for the for these issues will be raised in litigation that probably doesn't involve you. The SEC doesn't want to sue you. Uh, they want to sue. They want to sue platforms. They're suing big exchanges now. They're going to continue to sue exchanges. And then they're going after DeFi platforms, those DeFi platforms where they can find people. Um, that's what they're going after next. They've already signaled that with the Reg ATS approval that is pending, uh, with the Reg ATS proposal that is pending um, that they expect to finalize to, to basically name everything in DeFi, including the mere provision of code or publishing of code as meaning you're an exchange, which is a which will be litigated, but... Uh, signals that they're coming after DeFi. What can you do? I mean, yeah. risk, yeah, risk yeah. mitigation is all you can do, which is to say, 
look at the things described in the complaint and try not to do that. Um, don't ever talk about token price ever. Just don't discuss it at any point. Don't mention it. Mm. Um, uh, is one thing that that you know advice like that I think can help mitigate risk, but doesn't eliminate it. So there's not much you can do to come into compliance as a token project at this point. And then, are you surprised that? Um, I mean, it, I mean, it makes perfect sense for me if I'm Robinhood or Toro, I'm going to delist any of the assets that have been named in the suit just because. I mean, they probably make up one to two to three percent of my overall revenue, if that. So why take the chance? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, um, I don't begrudge anybody doing what they need to do for risk mitigation. Yeah. And ultimately, the point of crypto, let's remember, is not centralized intermediaries. The whole point of it's nice to have. It's nice when TradFi subsidizes liquidity in our crypto revolution. As we work to replace yeah. them, that's nice, but that's not the goal. The ultimate goal is exchanging peer-to-peer -peer on permissionless, non-custodial platforms. Um, so it'd be nice to have more platforms listing these tokens, but ultimately I think everybody in crypto needs to prepare for a world in which um, for an extended period of time, we have to live off the land. We have to trade peer-to-peer. -peer. The end times are, not, are near. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I would say... First of all, I'm a lawyer, so I have to tell you, comply with the law. I feel silly saying that because the law is not clear and it is impossible to comply with it, which is not fair, which is not just. But I would say if I was a dev, if I was a computer dev and not a lawyer, I would build a non. I would make sure it, there's a work for interoperability, work for the ability to trade peer-to-peer, -peer, not on custodial exchanges, centralized intermediary exchanges. Um, we're going to have to go back in time to where we were in, in volume and liquidity in 2015 for a while. I mean, it, that's probably what's coming. I think we'll survive. Mm. I think DeFi will survive. It's impossible to kill DeFi. When, when some kid in his basement can fork the Uniswap code overnight, um, it's just going to keep coming back. Uh, and the ones that will survive will be the ones that build and not, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, you can't. I mean, that was kind of, I was at a, I'm here in, in Prague and we had, ETH Prague, um, and I interviewed the CEO of Matter Labs, and there was an audience question saying, you know, is the SEC going to kill Ethereum? And he was like, I mean, at this point, it's basically impossible, even if you arrest everyone in the ETH Foundation, um, you know, put, put Vitalik on the moon. Um, you're still it's still going to sort of exist at this point it's reached a sort of escape velocity there one thing i would say like again playing um devil's advocate if you look if you think about and mchenry said yesterday during the hearing that this is the one thing that everybody can galvanize around on both sides which is we care about consumer protections um that that that's probably how the SEC is coming at this, right? Like these, you know, listing unregistered securities is, is harmful for consumers. And if you look at um, the Defiant, a really interesting chart, the tokens mentioned in Coinbase's suit, um, Sol, a ADA, Matic, um, they're down an average of 27%. Um, they've underperformed the broader market. So I, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder the degree to which it's safe to say that like, the kind of disenforcement action 
in a way, there's probably other, other motives, but it, it might be tied to the mission to protect investors. What do you think, though? Like, what, what other motives are at play? You said this was very political. Um, walk us through this sort of... Um, and is there a happy medium? Like, in what ways can regulators strike a balance between protecting investors and encouraging innovation? So, first, I think if the SEC showed up in good faith to a discussion, SEC leaders showed up in good faith and said, you know what? We understand we have to adapt the law. The law has to adapt. It's adapted before many times with Reg AB, with uh, publicly traded limited partnerships, with proxy delivery by by hyperlink. Uh, there would be hundreds of DeFi lawyers that would show up to that discussion. Many of them, former SEC lawyers, former big law lawyers who made the plunge into, into DeFi and into token development uh, because they are risk preferring, who would show up with a list of ideas, with a stack of ideas mm -hmm. for model regulation. Uh, Reg X is an idea that my friends at the Lexpunk Army have put together. Uh, that mm -hmm. probably describes that crowd. Some people that are like former Sullivan Cromwell, and then they jumped into DeFi at first, mm -hmm. and they've got a list of ideas for model disclosures for projects about about tokenomics and whales and you know uh, uh, code audits, code security audits, and all that stuff. They would show up the moment that a good faith hand is extended across to them, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, I would say it would be great also if on the enforcement priorities, if the SEC went after real scams, that would be awesome. I mean, I think everybody, every legit player in crypto. I know. They go after, they go after the they go after the projects, good guys. Something. They go after the good guys. They went after Kraken. Well, they have got they have gone after some like crypto projects, but they're like I've never heard I've of never them. Heard like, of them. The one that, I've never heard of them. The one that Kim Kardashian was peddling, ETH Max, I think it That's was. That's right. And let, let, I mean, let's look at the Kraken settlement. Well, maybe that was a scam. I yeah. Know. Look at the Kraken settlement, $30 million. So when you fail to register, but there's no fraud and no damage to customers, there shouldn't be a $30 million award. That's not how securities enforcement works. That's mm. an extortion. Um, those mm. kinds of penalties are reserved for fraudulent activity and stealing from customers. And Kraken is the most good faith actor of the last decade in this space. Um, so, yeah. And, and let me say another thing about the Coinbase suit. So I calculated yeah. within the few hours after that suit was made public, uh, total market cap went down by $40 billion in crypto, crypto wide. And I can't mm -hmm. find another macroeconomic event that would that would have caused that much loss. That's bigger than was actually lost in the Madoff Ponzi scheme. So. Maybe if you want a quotable shock quote for the world, podcast, yeah. maybe the SEC's filing of the Coinbase suit caused more investor harm than the Madoff Ponzi scheme. Let's put that out there in the world. That's one way to look at it. Or Luna as well. I think Luna, we saw like 50 billion or 40 billion, same, same sort of. Yeah, but this is caused by the SEC's filing itself. The filing of the suit caused that much investor harm. And that's not including the harm to Coinbase shareholders who legitimately bought shares in a listed company that the SEC you know, knew about and approved the S-1 for, um, and then now has changed course. Okay, so you're a professor. Uh, so that, that allows you to bring to the table some interesting insights um, based on a lot of uh, insight into 
or rather allows you to opine on a lot of these videos that we've been seeing uh, pop up on Twitter. I don't know who's finding these, who's digging them up, but um, there's two perspectives. One is, I think, to be fair to uh, Chair Gensler, there you take a different, um, you maybe think differently or um, can speak differently when you're, you know, not leading a, a regulatory agency, right? So you have your personal view and then you have the view that you have to kind of take on as a regulator. Um, but he, he said um, in one video that 75% um, of the market back in 2019, I think it was, or 2018, are non-securities. And now he says 99%. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Um, you know, what do you make of that juxtaposition? Uh, so I'm not sure being fair to him and steel manning my opponent. That's always a good thing to do, right? Steel manning my opponent. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was in one quote talking about market cap and then the other quote talking about number of tokens. So that might explain yes. some of the difference, right? So let's steel man him in that way. But there are particular tokens that he... Which would have been accurate because ETH and Bitcoin probably would have made up 80%. But that would also require and, him to accept that ETH is not a security, which he's not willing to do right now. Yes, exactly. So yes. that's a legitimate <laughs> counterpoint right. that yeah. you have waffled on ETH. I think that's fair to say. Uh, he also mentioned Algorand. Uh, 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 was it Aval Avalanche or Algorand? Avalanche. Algorand. He, he was big on Algorand. Yes. He even mentioned Silvio because they both worked at right. MIT together. That's right. Uh, that's interesting. He mentioned Zcash. So I'm, I'm on the Zcash Foundation board, so I'll make a plug for my favorite token. He mentioned Zcash <laughs> yeah. in one of his lectures. There was some kid uh, uh, in the class who was a, a developer for Zcash something. So he calls on him and he says, tell us about Zcash. And then he describes it briefly. He says, oh, it's just Bitcoin plus privacy. Which is true, which is a good good kind of elevator pitch for Zcash. Mm. It's just Bitcoin plus zero knowledge proofs. Um, I would love if he said today Zcash is clearly not a security, which it's not, uh, in my view. Um, speaking as an advocate for that for that community, uh, but he, I'm sure he won't do that. Or he won't do that now, which is another inconsistency. Here's the other thing that I'm curious about. Let's let's go back to the case. There's one, there's, there's, it's fair enough to say <clears throat> that there's no clarity or there's a lack of clarity. But if that's the case, then how can a firm like Coinbase be so certain that what they're listing aren't securities? It's like, if I don't know what the definition of a fruit is, how can I be so sure to say that a tomato is not a fruit? That's a hard question to answer. I'm not I'm not ready to defend every token on the platform. I don't know about every token on the platform. I try to stick to the things I know the most about. So when I looked at the Wahi case, I I had strong feelings about AMP, that AMP is not a security. Mm -hmm. Most of the tokens mentioned in the Wahi case I just wasn't familiar with. Uh, mm -hmm. But I did have strong feelings that I don't think AMP is a security because the utility really imbues that token and the utility is the function of most of what it does, including the staking is directly related to the utility of that as cross-collateral for merchant-based payments. But um, I wasn't familiar with all the tokens there. I mean, look, let's take the obvious, right? Coinbase has a pretty aggressive listing policy. So, so no, but it raises an interesting question, uh, which is what, what will sort of these arguments boil down to? It'll probably have to do with utility, right? 
Like it would be, I think Chair Gensler said this in the past, like it only, they only need to check one of the boxes um, of the Howey test to be nailed down. Um, so I, I guess thinking about the defense from Coinbase's side, they're probably going to want to illustrate utility. Um, and maybe that's what it boils down to if, if you sort of can defend that this token is needed for the network in some way. It's uh, so you do have to show all four elements of the Howey test. You have to show all four. You do. Okay. You do. But for each element, there are some common themes that have developed among them. So the uh, uh, utility idea was overplayed in the ICO era as a get out of jail free card because it's not. But yeah, the SEC, yeah. I think, is also wrong by saying sometime now, especially in some filings, that it's irrelevant because it's not irrelevant either. Uh, it it um, it is a hazy test to begin with, and one in which different circuits, circuit courts have different ideas. But I don't think it's fair to say utility is irrelevant. I think it is relevant. And if 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 the primary uh, reason why people are buying the token is to use it for something useful, I think you have a hard time saying that's a security. Interesting. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> everyone's buying this stuff to 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 make money, but you know, that, that they're they're um commodities that people buy for the same reason. Look, that's why the test is the test is just not ready for this at all. I mean, you know, yeah. AMP I AMP is connected to the Spedden app, right? And I Mm-hmm. It's just so cool that I can buy a, a bunch of different tokens. I can send it to my Spedden app. I might buy them for a speculative reason, or I might use my Spedden app to buy an ice cream at Baskin Robbins or to buy a burrito at Capole or to buy some socks at Nordstrom's. And I've done all three with uni tokens because uni tokens, I'm not a huge fan of uni tokens, to be honest, because they, because they won't turn on the fee uh, switch. So I use my uni to buy socks and burritos through the AMP token. So you're going to tell me that uni is a security or that AMP that makes flex of work is a security when I use both of them to buy some socks? Um, that's not mm-hmm. something the securities laws are ready for, right? Something that can morph between yeah. security, commodity, currency, um, just depending on how you decide to use it that day. I guess so that. So then what is the worst case scenario? Is it is it? It's basically that they lose in three, four years. Like this is going to take a while, probably. And then, and then probably just like the lack of certainty in the interim. It's it's more like these knock on effects, right? JW, like you know, if you have this uncertainty, you have these big lawsuits, then you probably have less investment in the market, less people trying stuff, unless they go anon or they go offshore. Yeah, it. Um... The worst case scenario gets worse as you see every – the worst case scenario, let's pray it doesn't happen, and I'll fight to make sure it doesn't happen. And these guys right here, mm-hmm. DeFi Education Fund, will fight to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, not affiliated with them, but a supporter to, of them. The SEC comes after DeFi, and they shut down every platform they can get their hands on. And hopefully yeah. some will survive because they're decentralized and the devs are a non. But with the, you know, the worst probably, case scenario is that this is just the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Ominous. And you know, it might always be the case that I can buy what I want to buy using my app and connecting to some DeFi protocols and stuff. But my dad's not going to do it. They're going right? to. 
they're going to show up to your house. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, my my VPN game is pretty good. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what what should what what are you watching over the next I mean I would say typically I say a few months but this is literally we're you know we can probably say the next few weeks what are you what are you looking at well the SEC just closed the the comment period for the reg ATS proposal that would treat everything as an exchange I'm watching that um I'm worried about at some point potentially something gets slipped into a must pass bill like was was done to us with the infrastructure bill last Congress, mm-hmm. um, we got to make sure that doesn't happen again. And hopefully, a ray of hope could be maybe our allies on the Hill slip something into a must-pass bill in favor of us that is helpful to us. The most useful thing mm-hmm. would be some kind of a fix to the cap gains recognition on every crypto transaction, right? Every time I buy a burrito using Uni, if the price is going up, that's a cap gains transaction. makes it mm-hmm. hard to buy a burrito uh, with crypto. So we need a fix mm-hmm. to that, and maybe that would be a great candidate to slip into a must-pass bill and you know jam it down uh, the crypto critics' throats here, uh, make that threshold as high as possible. I'd love $1,000, $100 would be great to have those transactions yeah. recognized. That covers, I mean, I don't know, under under this inflation regime, man, I mean, if you, if you literally probably only get like four burritos, it's going to be... That's true. Yeah. It's going to be like a hundred bucks, maybe, maybe even three. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, well, JW, thanks again for uh, taking the time to join the show. Thanks for having me, Frank. Good to be here, man. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And the scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have a nice day.